we're talking about Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Think for just a moment, and uh, I'm going to ask you to call out some names in a minute, but what's your favorite city in the world? Think about it for just a, f a few seconds. Of all the places you've been, it has to be a place you've actually been. What's your favorite city in the whole world? Think about it. If you've got an answer, call it out now. Keep going. Uh, I'm waiting to hear somebody say Stanwood. <laughs> you said Stanwood? Okay. Raise your hand. God bless you. <laughs> uh, because uh, you're halfway home on the message today. We're looking at uh, the last few weeks of Jesus' life. And where did he go? If you knew you had a month to live, where would you go? Would you just stay at home, or would you go try to say goodbye to relatives? Would you try to visit places where God had met you in the past? Uh, uh, you know, what would you do if you had just a while uh, to live your life? And as Jesus goes down, we know in Luke 9, it tells us that he says, uh, listen to me and remember what I say. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He's very clear about where he's going. Uh, he's very clear all the way from chapter 9. And last week we looked at 951, where it says he, he resolutely set his destination to go to Jerusalem. I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if I was going to go to a place and they were going to kill me, I'd be in a hurry to get there. But, you know, he resolutely sets his uh, sights there. And as we look at his goal, today we're looking at Luke chapter 13. So we were 9, now we're moving forward into Luke 13. Jesus went through the uh, towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. He has this amazing sense of destination, even as he's going in these different towns and villages. And if you look at uh, the chapters like 10, 11, 12, you'll see he did a tremendous amount of teaching about the kingdom of God. If you, just, if you really love parables, uh, the stories Jesus tells, look at chapter, you know, like 10, 11, 12 of Luke, and you'll just see parable after parable after parable. And uh, as he's going through there, though, here's kind of a map a little bit. We know he went down to Samaria, and then he has to move around to the area uh, that the Jews called, uh, they had a strange name for it, and it was just Perea, they called it. Uh, we would call it today, it's a, where a lot of the trouble in Israel is, it's, it's what we would call the West Bank. But in, in that part of it, in uh, Perea just meant it was out there. <laughs> That's what the Jews called it. Jews are pretty simple people, you know. They had this bread come down from heaven, and they didn't know what to call it, so what did they call it? Man. And what does manna mean? What is it? What is it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so here they call it, well, Jesus went out there, out, uh, out on the, the, the west side along the, the, the Jordan. And in, in chapter 13, verse 31, at that time some Pharisees said to him, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. So uh, they're in that part of the world now where Herod Antipas uh, is living. He was, he was not the Herod who was alive when Jesus was born. That was Herod the Great. He's the son of Herod the Great. Uh, 
I heard a, a, a man talking about a sermon one time where the man talked about how Herod was trying to kill Jesus all of his life and didn't realize he was talking about different Herods. You know, it wasn't the same guy the whole time. But this is uh, the son of, of the one who was killing all the children in Bethlehem years ago. And it says you're in that part of the world that he controls uh, and he wants to kill you. Uh, and Jesus replied, go tell that fox that I will keep on uh, casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and the third day I will accomplish my purpose. Uh, every writer in the New Testament has kind of key words and phrases that they keep using, and the Gospels are like this. John has a whole vocabulary he uses. For example, in John's Gospel, uh, everyone who's really confused or struggling or unclear comes to Jesus in the night. And everyone who's got clarity and knows what they're about and what they're doing comes to Jesus in the daytime. So day and night is a big me uh, metaphor of life that, that John uses. And in Luke, he keeps getting back to this phrase about the third day. You'll find him quoting it numerous times throughout his gospel because he's always trying to focus the attention of the person he wrote this to, dear Theophilus, on this idea that Jesus knew that there was something coming beyond even his death and that there was going to be something that was going to happen, quote-unquote, on that third day to help him accomplish his purpose. Yes, today, tomorrow, and uh, the next day, I will proceed on my way, for it wouldn't be uh, due for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. Does that seem like a crazy phrase to you? I mean, Jesus is saying, yeah, I know, I've got to go there because if you're going to die, that's the place you have to die. It's interesting because you read, like in Jeremiah and, and in the Old Testament prophets, they, they were always criticizing Jerusalem because Ju Jerusalem was a city that they would kill the prophets and then years later they would put statues up in their honor. And he talked about just how surreal it was that they would put these uh, statues up to honor people they had killed. And, and, but Jesus, you know, recognizing that, he cries out the next verse, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. Does he know where he's going? Does he have clarity and focus? Uh, go forward one slide. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he does. He knows exactly what he's going to hit. I, 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 I got to tell you, this is one of those things I really admire about Jesus is that he knew what was going to happen, and he still went there. Uh, you remember the, st study, uh, the story of Jonah? And what happened? You know, God says God uh, is going to destroy this city, got to go warn the people in Nineveh, and what does uh, Jonah do? He gets in a boat and heads the opposite direction. I think, frankly, a lot of us would say, look, if there's something bad that's going to happen there, I'm not going to go there. Conflict avoidant, does conflict avoidance, uh, anybody here conflict avoidant, you know, like me? Uh, my, uh, it, when I was preaching at uh, my last church in Whittier, I was there for 21 years, of all the sermons I ever preached, uh, we used to do CDs. Anybody know a CD, compact disc, and we used to do those of, of the sermons, and uh, I always remember that the one that sold the best the one that sold more than any other uh, message I ever preached was called What I Learned in 11 Years and $40,000 of Marriage Counseling. 
Uh, and that was the one everybody wanted to listen to. Uh, you know, it isn't, it isn't always the strong things that, that resonate with people. But one of the things I learned in my counseling is I am tremendously conflict avoidant. So if Eric said to me, hey, Bill, we want to change something, do it this way. I say, okay, okay, fine, Eric. You're the chairman, whatever you want, you know. I'm not going to argue with him. <coughs> it's just kind of the way uh, I am. But that's not always good. Would you agree with that, those of you who are that way? Uh, sometimes you have to take things on, and you have to be honest and forthcoming and direct with things. Otherwise, it just doesn't work out real well in life. Uh, Jesus goes on, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but now, uh, but you wouldn't let me. Uh, my, my son lives out in Erie, Pennsylvania, which uh, I think if all goes well today is getting another six inches of snow. Uh, and uh, one of the things that his wife loves to do is she raises her chickens she loves to get the eggs for free, you know, quote-unquote. Yeah, you got to feed the chickens, though, and, and, uh, and give eggs to her neighbor. But one of the things that has happened is the kids, the, my grandkids, all seven of my grandkids have been there at different times, and they all have adopted a little baby chicken. Now, we don't like to tell them what happens to the ones who don't, aren't there next time they come, but, uh, you know, they love to have their little chickens, and they give them names and everything. And when you watch a bad weather or a storm or a pressure come up, what happens to all the little chicks? They run under their mother's feathers, under the wings, and find protection there. And Jesus said, you know, I, I wish you would have come to me like that. Part of what Jesus is seeing is the future, and he talks about it quite a bit. He knows that, you know, he's, he was alive. He was born somewhere between 5 to 7 A.D., so he lives his years, but in 70 A.D., after he's gone, the, the Romans are going to come in and totally, you know, ruin and destroy the temple in Jerusalem. And so he knows it's going to be a disgrace to the whole city of Jerusalem, and he sees that that's, uh, that that's coming. Uh, he, says, uh, how, he says, and now look, your house is abandoned, and you'll never see me again until you say... Uh, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, some people have said, well, that's what they said. Uh, some of them said that on Palm Sunday. But that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the prophecies, again, especially, I think it's in, in Ezra and in uh, uh, Jeremiah, where uh, one day God was going to send uh, the Messiah back to the world, the second coming, and people at that point were going to praise him and say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He says uh, the people of Jerusalem are not going to really come around till then. Now, we know from Romans chapter like 9 and 10 that it says uh, all Israel is going to be in God's kingdom. We know that they're, they're going to have to come like everybody else comes, but we know that there's going to be a huge movement, especially as, as time comes to an end. They're going to realize that he actually was the Messiah because they see the whole thing coming to an end, and there was no one else who could fill that role. And it says that Israel is going to come to him and that they will, they will bless him. Uh, in Hebrews 5, it tells us about the tears of Jesus. What did he cry about? Uh, what's, you know, if you've ever had a, a Bible-quoting drill, everybody knows uh, one of the most famous verses to quote in the Bible was what? Just two words. Jesus wept. 
talking about the, the tomb of Lazarus. And, but here at Hebrews, it says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and, uh, and tears. I, I kind of have a picture here of, of him, I think, praying and doing that a little bit. And I don't think it's an image we think about very often when we think of Jesus. We don't think of him crying a lot, but we uh, hear in the scripture, and we're going to look at another one in a minute, that he cried quite a bit. It says, uh, it said again in Hebrew that he, he offered it up uh, with fervent cries and prayers, often in his lifetime. Uh, we know on the day when he came into Jerusalem, on what, the day we call Palm Sunday, as he comes in here and the people are praising him on that great day and, and everything, that when we get to Luke's gospel in Luke 19, it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. I mean, so here's this picture, okay? Here's this picture. Uh, all these people waving palm branches, throwing their cloaks in the road in front of him, his disciples and all these people praising him, uh, crying out, uh, Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? Anybody? Save us. It means save us. They're crying out to him. They're praising his name on Palm Sunday. And it says, he says, he is crying as he comes into the city and said, if you even you only knew on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. Isaiah 9 tells us that one of the names of Jesus is he is the prince of peace. Uh, there is no peace, really, aside from him. He says, you could have found it, Jerusalem. You could have known it but you didn't, you didn't accept it. The great uh, Catholic uh, uh, mystic Thomas Merton wrote, if you want to identify me and ask me uh, where I live, uh, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair, but ask me what I'm living for in detail and ask me what I think is keeping me from living fully from the thing that I want to live for. Jesus knew what could have been. He knew uh, how it all could have been so different if these people had just responded differently. But he knew that they, they hadn't and they wouldn't. I want to take you back in the text a little bit now to Isaiah 62 because I love what Isaiah writes about the city of Jerusalem. Uh, he says, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake... I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication, all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow on you. Common, this thing, you know, Jesus takes uh, Simon and renames him Peter. He takes uh, uh, Saul and names him Paul. You know, there all this naming uh, changes is something that God does different times. And he says, you know what? I want to do that for you, Jerusalem. They're still going to call you Jerusalem, but you will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your king, of uh, hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted, uh, Azabah, or name your land desolate, Shemama. I think that was a group in the 60s, wasn't Shemama? But... 
but uh, it means desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah. You are my delight, Jerusalem, and your land will be called Beulah. Your, your, your land will be called married. This image that we had even earlier today about how the, in the song we sang that Jesus uh, calls the church his bride. His people are, are in a relationship with him. But here, this idea is that Jerusalem is also being called it. This word Beulah here, here's how it looks in Hebrew. It means to marry, to possess, or to own. Uh, I should remind my wife that when she married me, that it means I possess her now or own her, you know. Uh, we're 49 years in. I don't think it's going to change much to you. Uh, uh, for the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married, Beulah. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you, Beulah again. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, Beulah, so will your God rejoice over you. It keeps using the same word over and over again, talking about Jerusalem. And it, God is saying, you know, a lot of people think you're a terrible place. Your people were carried away in the captivity in the Babylon. A lot of people see you as desolate. Remember this story of Nehemiah trying to rebuild the walls of the city that had all been torn down? But God says, I'm going to delight in you. I'm going to give you a new name. You're going to be called my bride. You're going to be called the one who I'm committed to. And you're going to be beautiful in my eyes. And it, it tells us that uh, this word Beulah is kind of the, the key word. Not a very common, I remember Beulah Bondi. We've had some actresses with that name. But you don't hear that word Beulah very often in the English language. Uh, again, so what I'm, here's what I'm saying in English here. This was all addressed to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, how many of you are, are from Stanwood? Hi, up high, don't be embarrassed, come on. Up high. How many from Camino Island? Okay. Uh, name another city I didn't name. Mount what? Mount Vernon. Mount Vernon. Okay. Uh, Arlington, anybody? <laughs> What, what do you say? Illinois. Illinois. What city, though? Natchez. Okay. Uh, down south, right? Yeah. How many? Uh, Arlington, anybody? Yeah? Marysville. Okay, Marysville. We're a pretty diverse group, aren't we? You know, and here's my question is, do you love the city where you live? Do you spend more time talking about, man, what a great place this is? Or do you spend more time complaining about the, the politicians, the city council, uh, the, the, the departments in the city, and the way things are done and why, aren't done, why they're not done? I mean, think for just a moment. Let's just be honest in your own thoughts. I'm not going to ask you to, you know, volunteer it up front. But I, do you love the city where you live? Louis Palau, the famous evangelist, said, except you connect evangelism with deep involvement with society, you will not get a chance to preach the gospel. Uh, when I lived in Whittier, again, 29 years of my life, uh, we, had, uh, we had a little thing that was starting to bother me, and that was uh, our, uh, our public library in town was run by a woman named Paimani, and Paimani uh, was uh, an Indian woman. She was a Hindu. And so there were a lot of times at the library they would have these, in the, in the public room there, they would have seminars about Hinduism and what Hinduism was and stuff. 
So I, uh, I wanted to kind of, uh, you know, take that on in a, in a loving way. And so I became a member of the Whittier Public Library Foundation so that I would get to know Paymani better and so that I could talk a little bit about, well, do we really want to start having seminars at the library on every different religion that we have in this city? And, you know, and pretty soon we didn't have those seminars anymore. And in addition to that, I was the head of fundraising for an expansion of the Whitwood branch of the East Whittier Library. I'm very proud of that, that place today because I got to take the city where I lived and make it a better place by something tangible that I would do. Uh, I think a loving generosity is the new evangelism. Go forward one. I think a loving generosity is the new evangelism. I think if you want to reach people, we have got to go about it a whole different way. Because you know what I've seen churches try for decades? Griping and whining and complaining. And it's not helping. It's not helping us win the world by having that kind of an environment. But if we start to get involved, now on the, at the beginning of the service, I, I read on the screen, I read these words. Uh, Cedar Home Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus through gospel-centered worship. What are the next words? Anybody know? Community service and multiplication. Community service is the second thing it says is what we're going to do to, to bring people to become disciples of Christ. So my question is, are we living out our church's purpose statement by showing uh, our, our Christianity by, uh, by reaching out to this community and community service? Because I don't think they're ever going to listen to us until they know that we really care about the place where we live. Uh, I have a, uh, the church I was working at the last seven years was in Manhattan Beach, California, called Journey of Faith. And one of the ladies in our church became one of the, uh, one of the uh, city council members in uh, Manhattan Beach, California. Now, if you follow the news at all, you know that recently, uh, one of the things that she helped do in that city was there was an area, a, a beach, that they had taken away from some black people years ago. In the city of Manhattan Beach, a property that was worth, I don't know, $10 million, they, they found the family they had taken it from and gave that piece of property back to that family and said, we were wrong to take that from you. You know, that's what she did as a Christian to show the love of Christ in a practical way. Whatever we do, friends, it's got to be practical. It's got to make an impact on the world we live in. Our service for Christ has got to be all of us joining hands. I like this graphic of, you know, are you in on this thing? And uh, go forward one again and, and just kind of our service for, for Jesus. Uh, I like this word of Timothy Keller. Pastors often hear these words, I work my fingers to the bone in this church, and what thanks do I get? Is that, why, is that the way it is? Your service was for thanks? Are you in your right mind? Servanthood begins where gratitude and applause ends. See the yellow words? Read it with me. Servanthood begins where gratitude and applause ends. Serving Christ is what we do because like he felt about Jerusalem, we feel about the city where we live. 
And we want to be an agent of salt and light in our community. We want to find some place where we can help. There's so many areas. You could help tutor children in the schools. You could, you could help in, in, you know, your church has done so great supporting so many missions. Uh, the, the Everett uh, uh, Mission, the, the health service that's here locally. All these things. There's all kinds of opportunities to volunteer. Local hospitals, local schools. Uh, you know, you could help in, in just a whole variety of things. But it's got to be done as a servant of Christ. Look at what Jesus said, Matthew 20. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. To give his life as a ransom for many. John chapter 12. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Oswald Chambers said it so well, there are no such things as prominent service and obscure service. It's all the same with God. Say, boy, I wish I could play the piano like she played the piano. I could serve the Lord so well if I could play the piano like that. Or if I could sing like that. Or if I could play guitar like that. Then I could serve God. You know what? You've got all kinds of ways you can serve God because there's stuff that you are good at. Women in the church do quilts for people. That's a way of serving God. People, you know, we do stuff as a church here together. We, we're having an Easter egg thing that we're working on. We're having other things that throughout the year we do to try to show the community. Uh, we did it at, uh, at the Halloween. We care about your kids. We care about you. We're here for you. And we are part of this community, and we love it as much as a husband loves a wife. That's how committed we are to serving you. Amen? I don't think the church of Jesus Christ in America gets it. And that's why we're not winning people to Christ, and that's why every time you see the statistics in the Pew Report, the number of people who go to church, the number of people who claim to be followers of Jesus goes down every year. Wait, we're supposed to multiply disciples of Christ, not lose them, not subtract them, but we're not doing it the right way because we've got to fall in love with our house, with our block, with the people we live with. We've got to know our neighbors' names. We've got to be praying for each of our neighbors that God would, would reach them for Christ and that we can go and help reach them for Christ. We've got to help support our city council. Read Romans 13 again. The, the, the powers that exist over us are ordained by God. They're put there by God. You know, we've got to change our attitude if we're ever going to really reach this world. Mother Teresa wrote, uh, you, need only look at, at, you only, need only ask at night before you go to bed, what did I do to Jesus today? What did I do for Jesus today? What did I do with Jesus today? You have only to look at your hands. This is the best examination of conscience. And my final picture, if you could just see the way that Jesus weeps over the place where you live, and, if, and the way that he sees those people. Uh, some of you knew Bruce Barnes. You know Bruce, Bruce Barnes was saved because he lived in a, a, a mobile home with his father, who was an alcoholic uh, truck mechanic, and his mother, who, you know, who had, who had her own struggles in life. But a man knocked on the door and said, hey, there's three boys in this trailer. Is it, would it be okay if I took them to Sunday school? And Bruce and his brothers became Christians because one man knocked on that door. 
When I was in, uh, in uh, north side of London recently, I, a couple of years ago actually, I was uh, at a place that, a town that has 60,000 Pakistani people. And there was a dear old man who would go around and part of his job was he would go into the, they had uh, five uh, Muslim mosques in that city. And he would go to those people and he would just say hello, give them a greeting, tell them he was a believer. And, and eventually, out of his relationship, they set up this group of uh, Sunni Muslims and Shia Muslims coming together with Christians that every Tuesday night they would meet together and the Christians would have a half hour to teach something from the teachings of Jesus and the Sunni would have a half hour to something from uh, what their religion and, and the Shia. And then they would all sit and discuss this and they were doing this. When I got there, they'd been doing it for two years to try to reach the people in that community and unite that community even though there were so many people who were not Christians in that community. What I'm saying is you just never know. If that... If that man hadn't knocked on the doors of those mosques and tried to make friends, that never would have happened. <coughs> One of the men at the table where we sat that night discussing was the mayor of the city, who was a Muslim. I mean, if we don't start to reach people, Jesus knew he was going to die, and he still went there. Jesus knew it was going to be a beating. He knew it was going to be hard. He knew his people would even walk away from him to desert him. He still went there because he cared about those people in that city. And we got to do the same. That's all I have to say about that. Let's pray. Lord, easy to talk about, hard to do because it takes time and energy focus. But Lord, uh, just if you would come to our thoughts and minds and challenge us something that we can do to make it better. What is it, Jesus, we could do? I'll close with three questions. Number one, some of you really, when it comes down to it, you don't really care because the reality is you don't really have a relationship with Jesus. And we can pray it for the little children, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. But you would like to begin a relationship with him. You would like to pursue that. If so, then pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I do want a new beginning with you. I want a fresh wind in my life. I want your spirit to come and fill me. And I want to know for sure I have eternal life. I want to know I have a relationship with you, Jesus. So come and bring that to me right now. And if you pray that with me, just as heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around, just put your hand up and say, I prayed that. Jesus said, if you will acknowledge me before man, I'll acknowledge you before God in heaven. Yeah, thanks. Put it down. Anybody else? Just put it up for a moment. Yeah, thank you, sir. Anybody else? Yep, thank you. Anybody else? Last time I'm going to ask. Just, yeah, I pray that I want Christ in my life. Okay? Second question. How many of you honestly would say, you know what, if you want to know my relationship with my city, I don't like it. I gripe about it. I complain about it. I whine about it, but I'm not doing anything really to change it. And I want to confess to Jesus today that I have not cared for the place where he has put me in life. I will confess that to Jesus today. Put your hand up right now. Say, I have handled it wrong. I know I have. I've complained too much. 
Just put it up and say, I confess it to Jesus. Yep, yep. Yeah, thanks. Anybody else? I feel like you're not being real with me. I'm sure you're doing it. I'm sure you're griping and complaining. Yep, anyone else? Okay, and then finally, how many of you say, you know what, I want to be married to my city. I want to love my city. And I'm going to ask Jesus today to help me to fall in love with the place I live in a very fresh way. And I want to make a positive impact for Jesus in the city where I live. Put your hand up. In fact, you know what? Stand. If you want to make that commitment, stand right now. I don't want to make it easy. I want to make it hard on you. God, you see our commitment to you. You see our desire to be different, to be better, to live out the gospel in powerful ways. We pray that you would give us the ability to do it well now. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you start? I don't know. Stand up. Remain standing, please. You know, maybe you take donuts to the police department. You know, maybe you go cook supper for the firefighters. Maybe you see if the EMTs need anything in town. Maybe, you know what, maybe you just have the, the boldness to go to the mayor and say, I'm just one person, but I live in this city. What could I do that would be a help to you and see what the mayor says? How many times do you think somebody comes to the mayor and says that? Almost never, I can guarantee you, because I've asked them. Let's go do it. Let's make a difference. And may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you, and lead you and guide you in being bold for Jesus in this community. And together we said, amen. Amen. Let's go get them.